At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know, I, I, I really feel sorry for you. You know, we're the same age, and here you are defending a miserable existence. Don't you realize how you're being exploited? How the, how, how the people who control the money are diminishing your existence to working in a fucking dirty factory which puts black smoke Watch up in the air, which pollutes the entire world, and you're working your ass off, saving money for your kids, getting pennies while they're making hundreds and hundreds of dollars? Don't you realize how you're being duped? How they get your head fucked with? How they have you indoctrinated? How they have you conditioned? How they've misinformed you? Don't you see this? Are you that blind? Some new kick comes along, some new drug comes along, you'll try it. What about some new kick like genocide, like imperialism, like napalm warfare? What about those new kicks which this country puts in practice? What about the corruption? What about the police brutality? What about the oppression of the minority groups that this country is responsible? I am not immoral, Mrs. Jurgens. You want to know what's immoral? You want me to... Do you want me to tell you what's immoral? War is immoral. Poverty is immoral. Racism is immoral. Police brutality is immoral. Oppression is immoral. Genocide is immoral. Imperialism is immoral. This country represents all those things. When are we gonna have love? When are we gonna have brotherhood, huh? We're not, as long as there's this little fucking Hitler. And you're sending all the oppressed people to their death! Don't you know that? Are you that fucking stupid? Another outburst and you'll be taken from the court. Insane people who go like Jews and who murder the children of their country. And your record, what does that show? What is my, what is the record the of this country, country within, show? Destroying the country from within. This is all your record shows. You're destroying Take the world the from within. What does LSD have to do with death, with murder, with war, with injustice, with poverty, with racism? Take the prisoner out of here! Get him out of here! Is that from a recent YouTube video? Perhaps some current podcast rant? Nope. That's from the 1971 pseudo-documentary, Punishment Park. Funny things haven't changed, eh? It's almost like there's one point in time and a hologram shifts with the illusion of change, but in truth we're always mired in the same disastrous narrative. That quote is almost 50 years old. Oh, but you're crazy, Miguel. This time it will be different. This is the one, Meg. This time people have the power. We're more enlightened and we'll make a difference. On the streets or through elections or if we scream at each other hard enough. This time it will be different. The illusion of freedom will continue as long as it's profitable to continue the illusion. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Jesus God and little fishes, you meat sacks. It's not going to be different. Don't you see? One moment in time with the empire shifting the hologram to cover an eternal civil war Endless human sacrifice and circular firing squads. Stop deluding yourself. Stop thinking that our days and our challenges are that different. 
unique, and that we're special and will overcome. Even pandemics have appeared so many times in history, but rarely get noticed. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. No, the only way out of the hologram is through an inner journey that awakens us into the reality of who we are and what reality is not. There is no other way. Then we still shouldn't fight the Empire, because... To fight the Empire is to be infected by its derangement. We must starve the Empire by, as the Gospel of Thomas says when seeing the Kingdom of God, making an image in the place of an image. In other words, changing the hologram. This is done by writing our own gospel and living our own myth. By embracing a special destiny each one of us has written in our souls. By inspiring others to be authentic and free. By no longer reducing the world to good and bad guys. Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make. We must also starve the Empire by disengaging with it completely and engaging with the divinity of others only. Invent our own economies, grow our own food, build our own communities that includes the least of our brothers. Finally, we must starve the Empire by choosing ecstasy over entertainment once and for all. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. Are you with me, or will you be watching your descendants struggling 50 years from now in another hologram? Perhaps an even worse one? Drowning in a million broken dreams and a hundred forms of fear? Maybe the decision about what's best for everyone should be left to, well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should give the dogs a vote as well. I'll ask my horse. <laughs> what we do is exemplified in this ancient story. Once upon a time, Alexander the Great came upon the cynic philosopher Diogenes, who was sunbathing in a square in Corinth, unlike the rest of the population fawning over the recent arrival of the conqueror. Alexander stood over him and said he would give the philosopher anything within his power since he had heard Diogenes was the wisest, most virtuous man in the world. Diogenes looked up and said, Get out of my son. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Things you own end up owning you. That's it. I'm sure Alexander wanted something in return, but the cynic didn't bite, and neither do we because we want the Archons and their catamites in the establishment to just get out of our fucking sun. Are you with me on this? Are you ready to get away from the hologram and into the sun Plato talked about in his allegory? Like Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Man only has one lifetime, but history can remember you forever. 
You were born to come out of the hologram shadow of the Empire and into the sun of your potential. I know you can, for you have so much power you're not fully aware of. But Gnosis will change that, for it will make you fully human and fully divine at once. Then you will find the way to unleash this power here at Aeon Bytnostic Radio. You were made for 2020, this age of Hermes. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn professional. And thanks for that one, Nate. Like you, one of many freaks and outcasts who outnumber the Empire. And thanks for this one, Gordon. This quote by Ursula Le Guin. How you play is what you win. By an existence that is without meaning or purpose. And all of them as artificial as the Matrix itself. You must be able to see it, Mr. Anderson. You must know it by now. You can't win. It's pointless to keep fighting. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why do you persist? Because I choose to. You are all amazing. So beautiful. And by asking Alexander to move to one side, you've played it perfectly and won so much. You're magical, too, as you're learning this year and our astral guest will soon reveal how to unbridle so much of your magic. An incredible mind and soul who will be discussing two of her books, The Occult I Ching and Familiars in Witchcraft. That is Maja Dao. Let me be clear that I will spiritually simp for Maja the rest of my life. Her work is incredible and threads a needle of crazy diamond sharpness to today from ancient times about primordial goddesses, transcendental sorcery, and the wisdom of the ages. And it was all gradually smothered by Yaldi Baldi. Yet these mysteries survive underground and were trafficked by the adherents of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. I love Maja's work, and check it out. And you'll love this witching interview. I'm not a witch, I'm not a witch. Uh, but you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. <laughs> and this isn't my nose, it's a false one. Well, what well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat, which is a witch. This reminds me of this quote by Tim Robbins from Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Disbelief in magic can force a poor soul into believing in government and business. And believing in the hologram. Don't you see? Nothing will change until we get out into the sun of our potential. Until then, humanity will be stuck in one point in time. Mankind is poised midway between the gods and the beasts. That may have been true in Plotinus's time, but clearly we have fallen quite a bit since then. In season one of the TV show Legion, a very Gnostic tale, the protagonist David says that it's not fear, but denying schizophrenia that is the mind killer. I thought the quote was odd, considering all I've been saying in recent shows, quoting Dune and shit. 
But then I realized we're all schizophrenic and must face this truth. Or at least most of humanity is schizophrenic. Humanity is not in touch with reality, you see. Thinking the hologram is authentic and that they can change the outcome of war, police brutality, genocide, minority oppression, and other delights of Moloch. A wise man once said, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. We are the only animal on Earth that goes mad. Humanity thinks the voices in their heads are their own, when instead they're the programming of hating angels. Only ecstasy can cure this and change anything, for it's the ultimate exorcism as the ancient Gnostics contended. Live to inspire, exist to transcend. Lead by example, even if the high road seems too steep. You never know. After all, in some legends, after Alexander the Great walked away all butthurt from Diogenes, he mouthed to himself, If I were not Alexander the Great, I would like to be Diogenes. Live to inspire, lead by example, love so much. As the Gospel of Mary says, Every nature, every model form, Every creature exists in and with each other. And as the Gospel of Philip says, Love refuses nothing and takes nothing. It is the highest and vast freedom. All exists through love. If we have souls, they are made of the love we share. Undimmed by time, unbound by death. Led us to the interview with the cool Maja Dao. Don't forget Finding Hermes is live to assist you with any healing you might need and those contraband truths of the Gnostics. How you play is what you win. And get out of our fucking sun, Alexander. A delusion starts like any other idea as an egg, identical on the outside, perfectly formed. From the shell, you'd never know anything was wrong. It's what's inside that matters. Such is the power of an idea. You see, an idea alone isn't enough. We have ideas all the time, random thoughts and theories. Most die before they can grow, for a delusion to thrive. Other more rational ideas must be rejected, destroyed. Only then can the delusion blossom into full-blown psychosis. This is the Aeon Byte interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Maja Dao to discuss not one, but two excellent books that are in the spirit of Aeon Byte, and those books are Familiars in Witchcraft and The Occult I Ching. Maja, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all ours. 
And with us, too, we have, uh, you could say, my own familiar, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, hanging in there and ready to learn about Maja's interesting uh, magical practice. Oh, yes. Her views are incredible. Like, Maja, where have you been? All my gnosis, because your works, reading these books together, crystallize and gave me so much insight into things, and certainly into things that I'm interested in, too, and even my own life. So thank you very much for making it happen. So to discuss these books, they are very connected, especially with the ideas of divination, the daemon, trying to understand our spiritual heritage as human beings. But what I wanted to start with is the idea of a witch. Have you always considered yourself a witch? I have. I, it happened to me around 13 years old, and then I couldn't stop. So <laughs> I'm definitely a teen witcher. Uh, I always, from the time I was itty-bitty, spent a lot of time in nature. So I was very lucky in that respect. And around my uh, 13 to 15, I lived in a house that was very close to a path or trail that went through the woods. And I would just hang out there uh, all day, all the time. So I became very connected with nature. My grandfather was a geologist. So I would hang out with him all the time. And we would just, you know, kind of nerd out about nature. And I started uh, going to the public library was my other big hangout spot, and I started getting into books about paganism uh, specifically, and then, of course, found these, you know, kind of hidden naughty books about witchcraft, and then it was really kind of simultaneously investigating paganism and witchcraft together around that, you know, those formative years, yeah. That is the next question, is the word witch along with words like you just said it pagan god even the word satanic is what my friend eric davis called it a uh, uh, trash bin word people use it and then they don't think about it then they toss it away and they assume everybody is uh, you know understands the word yeah and uh, reading your work i not only understood now with much better what a witch is or an experience what a witch is, but when people come up to you at conferences or you do talks or re you have obviously online classes and readings, how do, how do you define, do you have an elevator pitch for a witch? I do. And it, it, what you said is 100% true. And of course, I have my relationship with it, but everybody else will have a different relationship. So this is just my personal experience, uh, you know, and I get witches that get mad at me for calling myself a witch. And they're like, you're not a witch because they feel like I'm not like a Wiccan, you know. So I've experienced uh, some like kickback from some folks because they don't view me as traditionally Wiccan, I suppose. But people like, you know, with uh, their definitions to get really particular, especially about um, different kind of ideologies, I guess. But for me... My attraction to which was always in a, a kind of um, hermit way because to me it was about my nerdiness because it, it's talking about wisdom and seeking knowledge. So when I looked into what the word meant, I found out it means, you know, one who seeks to know, 
which of course is like, you know, where we link up on the gnosis thing because I need to know things. And so that's like a seed inside me. So I always very strongly related to being a witch because I have an insatiable kind of obsessive um, need to find things out or Nancy drew things, you know, so uh, that's how I relate to it. And then, of course, through the nature, because I am like a big nature geek and study all that stuff, too. So for me, it's kind of those two sides of the coin. And then additionally, just on a consciousness level, I I enjoy expanding my conscious awareness of what life is in terms of my nature studies. Like, what does it mean to be alive? What are life forms? What are you know, the, the reaches of the universe that include that. So I guess it kind of extends a lot farther than some people might just think a witch is, you know, someone who lights a candle and puts on eyeliner. But I, I don't think that's quite what it is. It's about a personal relationship to spirit and to nature and just developing that through investigation, really. Well said and nice, yes. And uh, I'm going to quote you in your book, The Occult I Ching. You do write that Gnosis is, quote, when we shift to our internal existence, we know exactly who we are and so fewer doubts arise, which allows to gain a profound confidence. We feel things and we know them. And then you basically write, Gnosis is just discovering Sophia. So well said. Yeah. Right? That's it, right? I mean, you, I'm sure, have had those moments, too, where you come into, and it's always because you have to know something that you're going to keep on it, you know, because you have to kind of break through it to get there. So you have to ride on the road (laughs) and keep going until you kind of burst through into that uh, arrival at your internal ability of knowing, right? Exactly. Yes. Well said. Loved it. Great quotes in both of your books. But going back to the witch, I think this is what my aha moment was. And I kind of always knew it, but you make a very good argument in your book, Familiars in Witchcraft. And that is going back to the witch is basically, I would say a witch is the direct lineage of the prophetic priestesses of ancient times. I mean, yes. I know it sounds simple, but it makes sense when you've got this ancient gnosis that was so important to the consciousness of humanity that carried civilizations. And then, of course, as we all know, got sort of, well, got sort of interrupted and is <laughs> trying to make a comeback today. Yes. And I view it as, you know, not just female. Uh, certainly, but male as well in those traditions. Obviously, a lot of people just consider it female, which a lot of the high priestesses and oracles uh, in many countries were females, but there's a lot of places where it extends to men too. So I like to make that point as well. But in my particular studies, I practice divination and I do it professionally. And I don't know if you do any divination techniques, but as you do and you form a relationship with them you connect almost like having a personal weird connection to your own ancestors if you participate in a divination system for long enough 
you get a consciousness link to its history and its ancestry is what happened to me personally. So it kind of opens this huge portal where you experience, oh my God, this is like you said, ancient, right? That is, and so the cool thing about you know, most religions or traditions is, or even singing a really old song or doing something that's really old is that you get to have a, a weird break through time space, right? By, by doing this thing that has been done by so many other people and recapitulating it, you kind of get thrown back dimensionally to those other individuals that have been carrying these traditions. So with the witches, uh, their main role, really, uh, aside from healers or, you know, managing um, certain aspects of certainly women's health or childbirth, things like that, also a lot of death. A lot of them were caretakers of death. Uh, they would be the carriers of these divination traditions, uh, which was very rigorous and um, required a lot of sacrifice and and then, of course, it fell into a deep, disdainful taboo, uh, as we all know. And that um, kind of veneration of holding those lineages has been completely, like, you know, just made fun of, dismissed, and disregarded in favor of. So now we're in a position where, obviously, there's been a lot of headway with women leading in terms of being priests or you know, in different religions, but that's pretty recent. So we saw there was no women allowed to have any role in religions, in any of the religions, unless it was kind of a supporting role or uh, as a kind of servitude, right? Yes, and you uh, quote a scholar that I admire very much, and I'm sure it's the same, you you uh, quote Ian Culliano, his book Arrows and Magic him. in the yeah. Renaissance. Yeah, and that's that book is incredible. But there's another book, obviously, from my point of view. He wrote a book called The Tree of Gnosis. Oh, I haven't read that one. Oh, it's a, it's an incredible book. But his argument is this: He's like, well, look, it's so hard to understand the Gnostics more than the Hermetics, because obviously the the Church and the Renaissance, uh, the Greek Orthodox Empire, love the Hermes. But for the Christian Gnostics, it's very hard because like the priests, like the witches of ancient time, this ancient Gnosis, it kept getting uh, censored and destroyed and all that. But he said, you can map the thought. That's why he called it the tree of Gnosis. You can map the thought Ah. from this culture to that culture. And it may not be exactly historical, but he argued it was being historical. So your book is sort of the tree of Gnosis for the witch because you map the thoughts going back all the way to ancient times. So that's why it was such an, I thought an excellent read. And so what would you say is the first, I think you talk about the oldest of the great goddesses might be what uh, the great goddess of Asia 5,000 years ago. Is that the oldest we can go? Yeah. I, I like to call her Sibel. Uh, was the name I kind of attached her, but she's not, you know, they call her so many different things. Uh, it's hard to keep track. Everybody's got different names, but the art, they retain their same, um, you know, attributes and correspondences. So it's still them. It's like if you have five friends and they all call you different names, but you're still you, right? right. So 
uh, I like to call her Sibel, but she seems to be, uh, and this goes prehistoric, right? So they found depictions of the goddess that would be identified uh, with Sibel in, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but like Cattle Hayuk, you know, going back, like they think, you know, 10,000 BC or something. So that's pretty, uh, pretty old, right? And she's always depicted with the lions uh, and had a lot of um, people kind of show her in stone or so she had these certain things that would always follow her. And these practitioners who worshipped her eventually became known as the Sibylline oracles. And it seems from what I found that that Sibyl, a lot of people have heard about the Sibyl oracles because that's, you know, where the Oracle of Delphi comes from. Most people have heard of her. But Sibyl is a kind of twist on Sibel, it seems, etymologically. So they're actually named after her in proper terms of Sibel, which comes from that Eurasian kind of area, you know? Yes, indeed. And I think it's uh, paralleling the work I've been doing is uh, many scholars, and we're talking academics, are realizing that Gnosticism is not just pre-Christian, but it might be ancient, ancient. Right. And they're starting to realize that that the first Gnostics might have, could have likely been the proponents of these ancient goddesses, Anat, Ashira, I think, mm -hmm. segment, uh, again, Anat and this Egyptian goddess also rode lions, and they were the yep. ones who split off when the cult of Yahweh, they had their problems, and they were sort of at each other's throat. So it's fascinating that uh, Cybele, again, is she sort of the the template, the primordial, or the, the first archetypal image of the goddess. And what I didn't know, which is fascinating, is you say that uh, it all began with a meteorite, didn't it? Yes, very interesting, right? There's, of course, there's all this meteorite stuff if you try and research it, so it's hard to find um, some of those. But people used to worship meteorites in temples all the time, which makes a lot of sense because something falls to earth and it's like, wow, what's that, right? The God sent it, yay. <laughs> or it's a I God. I know, it, it comes from heaven. Like, that's a big <laughs> deal. I think even now, if you saw a meteorite drop, you'd, you know, maybe take a minute <laughs> to right, go right. check it out. But yeah, she, according to the legend, one version of her fell to Mount Ida, which of course is where a lot of the mythology takes place. And she has a role in a lot of the um, mythologies that then extend into, you know, Greece and all these other kind of traditions. And she falls as a stone and they worship her specifically by circling around her. So here's the weird thing, too, that I found. And maybe you have some stuff on this, uh, too, with some of your information you know but there seems to be this thing about circling around these stones which if they're magnetic uh even on a physical level would make maybe something electric happen right. uh you know there's obviously the kaba is very similar they have that black stone 
which I mentioned maybe could be related. It's hard to say. She, the Savelle Stone disappears. Uh, she gets stolen. And then all of a sudden, around the same time period that stone shows up and is set in the Kaaba, no one's sure if it's a meteorite. They don't really know. It's kind of hard to get that data. But essentially, the people circle around it nonstop. Interestingly, I feel like COVID is the first time people have stopped circling the Kaaba in like a long time, right? Yeah, or it's, I think they've done it very limited. It's very like limited, 100 right? people, not thousands going around like before, yeah. I know, usually I was like thinking about the Kaaba, I was like, man, that is a spot where people have, basically humans have had held nonstop attention, circling exactly. it for hundreds of years, right? That's intense energy. So similarly, Sabelle stone worshipers would constantly have this group of people like circling it and building this energetic ecstatic uh kind of environment around these meteorites and it was it happened more often that you would than you would think that there would be these ecstatic meteorite cults you know you don't really hear that much about them have you heard about it before no i haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet but I, <laughs> a good one. I yes, I mean it. I think uh, there's a lot to uh, find out about these things. Uh, have you watched the movie Annihilation? It's about a meteorite, and no, I haven't. Sort I haven't of its seen energies change the very DNA of the surrounding. It's an alien invasion, but um, so it does uh, hark into this to uh, right. Sibel and um, Maja. Doesn't her name mean uh, cave dweller? Or Yes, like um, kind of found in a cave or in the earth, like a rock. Uh, basically, it has like a kind of, and she is an earth goddess proper in a lot of her affiliations. So she's very much affiliated with being ensconced in the earth or like rock, uh, which is why a lot of the Sibylline oracles would do their job from a cave. So they would go, and it's a lot of the Hecate uh, traditions as well, and you know, a lot of the witches and priestesses would do the death rites and all that stuff. And they would live in caves or graveyards and in tombs. And um, that was a big part of it, too. So a lot of the oracles would be in Sibel. It was, I, I feel like, I know the, the phrase womb to tomb comes from some other places, but it's certainly that um, engulfing earth that births us and swallows us when we're all done you know that reminds me i don't know if you ever watched this movie the 13th warrior a very flawed movie with antonio banderas and it's a retelling oh, i of didn't see that one was it good uh it's very flawed but again it's uh this sort of uh ancient tribe invades the vikings and uh -huh. of course the 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 villain is a female shaman that lives deep down in a cave. Who oh, interesting. All the men warriors worship her. And of course, I mean, whoever wrote it, the same guy who wrote Jurassic Park, I forget. What was his name? Oh, name? Michael Crichton. Michael huh. Crichton, yes. He wrote The 13th Warrior. So he obviously did his history about uh, the customs of these very ancient old tribes. And, yes. You know, but unfortunately, they also ate humans and... Sacrifice that was prevalent, yeah. There was, and there was deaths too. Uh, you know, sometimes even just people getting trampled accidentally in some of the circling, you know, so it was both intentional and non. Uh, but there was a that's like all the whole blood thing with the relation to the earth and um, 
the grain gods and all that kind of stuff, right? That we eat these products of the earth and we are products of the earth and like how we're just like shafts of grain. That, of course, uh, was a big part of giving birth to Christianity, uh, some scholars feel. Oh, yes, indeed. And I love also, too, your insights on the whore of Babylon in Revelation, because, again, some researchers are realizing that the whore of Babylon and the queen of heaven that you find in the Old Testament are ciphers for Sophia in her form yes. of Asherah. That, again, is that there's a struggle and there's still this ancient group that's trying to, well, it's being, there's polemics being written against them, but that's because they were a threat. But, is that uh, weird? Why do you feel like it was a threat? Do, in I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously your book shows, despite the misogyny of the Romans and the Greeks, uh, the Vestal Virgins, the cult of Isis, I mean, the, the female divinities were very, very important to these ancient yeah. cultures, right? I mean, they couldn't exist without them. They just they would have right. just fallen apart without uh, the again these these cults and the the divine feminine obviously you had a, a storm god called yahweh but he was married at some point somebody made a decision to uh i don't know some have said well we need a civilization so we need an orderly civilization but these people who worship Anat, these ancient Gnostics, they're into their ecstasy, they're into their anarchism, they're into being out in the field. They might, they might have said, well, this is not how we can have a proper civilization. Mm, we can't, right. especially we're going to have, just can't have equality. So that might have been it, but uh, we don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. but It's uh, true. I feel like you can track it to a time period, right? Like you can see where the shift happens. So it definitely occurs. It wasn't always that way, right? Like you said, like these things existed. They were ways of life. And I mentioned in the book that all of the trappings of civilization, from what I can tell, come through these ecstatics that have... Uh, for lack of a better word, communion with whatever you want to call them, some other sentiences, whether they're demons, angels, you know, everybody thinks maybe aliens, who knows, archons, maybe hard to say the identity, right? But what we do know when we kind of scan humanity uh, in different cultures through different times is that all of a sudden civilization comes and the people who get the data for science, for language, for agriculture, they all get it from talking to some, you know, supernatural being essentially. And so a lot of these uh, female leaders were performing the task of receiving all of this information exactly. and having those kinds of relationships. So what I find strange is that it seems like once all that data was taken, then the materialistic or, you know, like, like you said, who knows what their thing was. You could get all conspiracy theory about it in a million <laughs> different ways oh, yeah, and fun. like really noodle out. Right. So uh, we could go off longer than a Jerry Garcia guitar solo, but if we <laughs> if we want to just look at the data, it seems that they just wanted control for whatever reason. And so right. the the information was taken. They covered their tracks, right? There was definitely a cover up. I mean, they found the Nag Hammadi buried underground, so that's quite a cover up, right? So. 
they they definitely burned their tracks. That much we know. So we know yeah, they, they killed made them. They a all, into a right? tree and Lilith. I know. You know, there was it's it's all there. I think my personal theory too is yes. Uh, you had the shamans in a more egalitarian or uh, horizontal society. So that uh -huh. when you're creating a big civilization, there's hierarchy. But I also think, too, in the Egyptian religion, and you can see this through Hermeticism, it's a very personal religion, even in yes. ancient times. I know we see the pharaohs and the queens and yada, da, 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 but everybody mattered, right? Even the poorest Correct. person, nobody, everybody had to get to Ra a cross with the serpent to eternity or nobody would get there. You know, every person's death yes. and life and journeying to the afterlife was extremely important to the Egyptians. So you had a very personal religion. And at the end, this is not the kind of religion you want if you want to have a large, powerful civilization. It has to mm. be concentrated in the hands of a few. And they you can't removed let women access. around with this kind of information. Yeah, they <laughs> took out the access, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. So that only a few people had the access to that ability to connect to the supernatural entities, right? And the stars and the familiars. Right. All, what, well, your books talk a lot about. And, uh, well, Vance, uh, what is your take on this? Or do you have anything to uh, add about what we're talking about? The sort of tectonic shift and this oppression of the, the Gnostics and the goddess? Well, uh, why don't you ask me a hard question? <laughs> <laughs> a loaded uh, one, perhaps? Yeah. A well, you know. <laughs> I, I think uh, I see I see a big battle throughout history, you know, between the elite and the masses. You know, the uh, the any any civilization that has a priesthood is separating the you know the common person from the realms of the gods and the supernatural. And also, it seems that thinking about it, death is so central to all religions. You know, it seems that either you're talking to the ancestors or, you know, there's oh, that's always. You know, the, the thing that's sitting in the middle of the living room, you know, the elephant that nobody talks about, but that everybody talks about when it comes to these things. But and then, you know, the, the evil comes from the death, right? They, mm -hmm. People people associate evil and death. And I think that's how witches got the bad name, because like yeah. in the Bible, right, talking to uh, and rather than talking to God, he was going to talk to, uh, you know, the witch of Endor talks to, um, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Saul talks to the Witch of Endor to to find out what he wants to find out, and so th that's the big battle, right? Well, who you go to to get your extra-worldly information? <laughs> 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 and so, really, uh, I guess, uh, Maja, you're you're really oriented towards uh, having people um, develop their own abilities to look, quote unquote, internally, right? Um, yes. To get this information. You know, Very using much. Tools like divination yeah. and so forth. So, you know, yeah, I think that's that's a great approach because in the end, if you don't do that, you're just believing what anybody else tells you, even the other worldly entities, right? <laughs> you, you know, you got to believe somebody and how do you how do you judge? Yeah, the that's good points, yeah, because as Maja writes, uh, the other worldly entities are just as suspicious as our human kings and priests. They're naughty. Oh, yeah. And uh, she <laughs> gives plenty of it. But that's a good point you bring, Vance, and Maja talks about this is the uh, the famous, uh, in the Bible, Saul meeting the witch of Endor. I guess he didn't see any Ewoks, which I think is strange. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he, uh, 
that is, I mean, we're talking in ancient times, right, Maja? There was already this yep. problem of Saul basically saying, I want to be in control of the information. I don't want any women to be in control in these villages with their medicine and access to the spirit world. So I'm going to cut it off. But ironically, what happened? He still went back to the woman. <laughs> yep. It's really true. I mean, here's, I'll, I'll be really real. Like, I have had intense practices. I'll tell you what, menstruation is very much linked to death experiences. And there, I do feel like there's some kind of what, what he was saying is so true that there's the death thing is involved. And the whole thing with the Witch of Endor did have to do with a, a lineage to ancestors and a connection to death. I mean, they do it in the graveyard, we're crying out loud, right? So there is this, that ultimate taboo, which women uh, have that kind of relationship with because we literally have uh, a being die in us once a month. Like we... I know people want to think about it other ways, or maybe we'll describe no, yeah, other ways. You're but pregnant I've once had, a month. Yes, yeah. and then you lose it in a very, uh, you know, people get used to it and you adjust to it, but it's still very violent. <laughs> uh, what it is, really, if you consider blood violence, I guess. But for me and my practices, what I have seen is that I am different at that time, especially when I've gotten into, you know, some of my deepest purification rituals and um, disciplines and, you know, mental voyages into, you know, probably too far across boundaries than I should have gone. But it's real that your energy takes a dump at that time and you go back down into the earth and you have a descent whether you want to or not and so you kind of have to as a, a female practicing that just accept those death rites in a very real way and you can't you certainly can't pretend they're not there because they're it's your biology you know so you have to directly confront it all the time and you have to deal with the changing energy and it has to be treated in a certain fashion so that you you know maintain all of these other things and i think that it's just a different way than how the masculine approaches it in their relationship with it but you know it's not neither one is better or worse but like you mentioned that that kind of visceral link that he still has to go and approach the woman there's just a real thing there where you get a weird connection to death as a woman. If you go far into spirit stuff, it's going to happen. I'm not trying to like dissuade any ladies <laughs> from going deep into a practice, but, and for men too, you're going to have your ancestor connection. Like you just get to a certain level and like, you know, your consciousness goes there. Like you go into your DNA and that's just what happens. Like it's there, it's real, you know? So you're going to have that awareness of your biology happen and you're going to have a relationship with death, like whether you want to or not, it's going to happen. Do you think there's a relationship with blood sacrifices? I mean, like ancient, ancient times, you know, when people are just starting out. Yeah. Um, yeah blood fueled the universe. They thought it was everything. 
it's the life, right? Uh, so a lot of right. uh, religions view it as belonging to God. Even. So this is interesting because of all the stuff I talk about in the Familiars book, how it could be that there's genes shared, right? Of course, everybody now has all these conspiracy theories about maybe we have alien DNA, blah, 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 blah. You can go off on so many things or fairies too. I get into all the fairy stuff much, yeah. where there could be a literal blood relationship to the supernatural entities that are informing us. That's just a possibility. So viewing the blood as holy or part of a relationship with divinity could be as deep as a family level for all we know, right? Oh, yes. Well said indeed. And in your section of the book on the Witch of Endor, as we shift towards divination, uh, I love your interpretation because... uh, at the end of the day, uh, as you write, Maja, you said that uh, Saul's inappropriate fixation on outcome is what really doomed him. And he gets it wrong. He's, yeah. he's again, sort of the, the left brain, uh, the masculine that has gone wrong because he sees everything yeah. is linear. Everything is outcome based, uh, you know, and instead of really fixing on what it is to really talk to these divinities or these doorways to divinity, which as you write, he should have focused on inner growth and not the outcome. Then you write divination is to know what your heart already knows. It's true. I thought it was beautiful because it tells us Saul should have just experienced and should have gone with the flow. And that's probably what doomed him because he kept projecting, didn't he? Yeah, and then they, of course, blame the witch for that, right? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Not the spirit world or anything. (laughs) Or Saul. But but it's a danger, and of course, that's that, like, uh, you got to watch your your daemon and its obsession. The the obsessive quality of using a divination system and engaging uh, with a daemon is positive because it will lead you to the breakthrough, but... It has that danger of shifting your focus, right? I think anyone that's ever used divination has had the experience where they're just going to keep asking until they try to get that yes or no, right? Yes. And so, <laughs> right? That's a phenomenon, though, of, like you mentioned, an inappropriate focus on outcome rather than what I have felt, and that's like what we talked about at the beginning of the show, is the ability to know, right? If you, what does that mean? If you have an ability for knowledge or gnosis, what does it mean that you know something inside? For me, and something that my teacher, Dr. Kelvin DeWolf said, I love the way he said it and repeated, is that you know something's true because you can feel it. So truth has a feeling. So if I'm engaging with a divination system and it says something that's true, you f- you get like the wash, I call it, where, you know, you get goosebumps and your whole body feels it and you have like the ding, you know, it just hits that bullseye. And in those moments when you feel truth, it's important because that's like if you taste an orange, an orange tastes a certain way. So it's about a, a signature of frequency that is truth. And when you know something, it's because you just had an experience of feeling truth, right? That's I feel like that's maybe the best way to describe when you're like, oh, I know 100% in my bones that that is true, right? Right. 
You don't flip-flop. No, that makes perfect sense. It reminds me, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot, uh, when the reporter asks Jung, Does he, do you believe in God? And he's like, I know, I know, I don't have to believe in God. I know yes. because he had... And that's interesting, too, because your book very wisely says it's something that in my stubbornness, my inner Saul, I'm going to start calling him, he, <laughs> I, I, always, uh, I always felt that even when I started doing uh, dream interpretation and dream therapy, I thought I had to have the symbol. Like I had a dream once about, let's say, I was in the field and I was walking the dogs and this griffin came and started attacking my dogs. And so yeah. I had to go look at the dictionary and said, what does a griffin mean? And my dogs are white and this and that. And I remember reading Jung saying, no, you, you, you have to experience these symbols and these images and have a relationship with them. So you have this gnosis, like you talk about, there's something in your gut that changes. And you yourself write the same thing. You said, we are meant to experience the symbols and results. Yes, you have to. It's not going to be, like if someone's getting a dang tarot deck, at the beginning, you're gonna look at that little booklet, you know? But like as you do a couple rounds with divination for a few years, you are like, oh my God, this is not about looking something up in a pamphlet or looking up something on a, <laughs> on a website. This is about, right, like you said before, an inner experience of knowing which comes through feeling and you feel it sentiently, you feel it in your biology, you feel it in your heart, like it, it's, it penetrates you. Like you got run through with a sword, you know, it's, it's very visceral. You don't have to wonder. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a form of ecstasy. That's what I tell yes. people. You have to experience these symbols, these, uh, as your book, you have to experience the past, the ancestry as a woman or a man and your daemon. I think that's more important than anything. And, uh, I, uh, like how you write, that divination is the demonic path to inner knowing. Mm. So, and, and then you quote Jung, again, we're talking about it, who said, he said that a daemon was, quote, a psychic force, a transformational energy, and source of images that cuts across boundaries. And if that uh, we ignore them, well, they cause disease in our bodies. You can't ignore mm -hmm. your soul or your daemon. So, again, more in the elevator pitch, Masha, what would you say a, a daemon is? And is a daemon the same thing as a familiar? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I in in the book I do kind of compare a daemon, your guardian angel, right? Your genius. I feel like a lot of people identify them differently. Some people might think a familiar is just an animal, right? Uh, and only include an animal spirit, I kind of view it in a much broader term because it's really about having a, a sentient relationship with something outside you that is familial or familiar, right? So a daemon certainly would be a familiar spirit. I view a daemon more like something you have uh, an intimate relationship with over extended periods of time, whereas you might have familiars come and go a demonic sentience is something you can kind of call on the phone anytime you want once you develop the relationship, <laughs> right? And and that may be the same as your HGA, as your higher self. It's hard to say, but I do feel like I've experienced 
different sentences if I could make distinctions. So some of them have like identifiers and I could feel it. Like if I was talking to you versus I'm talking to some other friend of mine, it's that easy to distinguish apart, right? Because they just feel different. So I do feel like if I'm talking to the I Ching and the I Ching's daemon, it feels very different than the tarot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience of like different Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have an animal spirit. It's a white wolf came to me in a dream. But my daemon is different uh -huh. and I have a different relationship with my holy guardian angel. We're, we're kind of family. <laughs> yeah, right? It is. It's like the holy guardian angel, I think, is like with you from womb to tomb, right? They're, they're for keepsies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my problem is mine is the angel Michael. and I don't. Oh, like he's him. a hard ass. Yeah. yeah, I don't like him. He's the demiurge for a lot of Gnostics. But that's, you know, fate is fate. And your book talks about you know, you got to deal with fate as a human being. <laughs> it's also, hard. It's hard. <laughs> you also say that uh, very interesting in your book, The Occult Teaching, you say you call a daemon a gap. What do you mean by that? Uh-huh. So this I I got from studying DNA eaching stuff, which for, for those, those folks who aren't familiar in the audience, uh, the eaching's numerology is the same as DNA. So you have four base pairs uh, with 64 possible combinations. I'm not the one that figured that out. There was a bunch of German folks uh, because the I Ching, even though it had been in China for thousands of years, 6500 BC, I think, it didn't get translated out of Chinese until the 50s. And the first translation went from Chinese to German, uh, which is why, you know, Carl Jung pipes in. Uh, a lot of people have that book, the Richard Wilhelm uh, translation, right? Um, and so it gets put into German. These German scientists look at it and they find out that, oh, my God, this is crazy. But this thing is like DNA. And so the gap that I mentioned is when DNA is changing or undergoing an evolution. So if you or even transcribing or copying itself, it does this thing where it opens so the little ladder uh, opens to make a space. And something my I Ching teacher, Dr. Stephen Karcher, said once, he described as a daemon as that moment in time when you throw the dice or the moment in time when you throw the coins. He said it's so cool and it was so magical because wow. it was like, right? So it's like there was just, just this little bubble opens in that moment of the synchronicity for it to like plop out that gnosis for you and so that gap the gap that happens with the daemon is that it opens this this receptive space where the knowledge comes in where sophia can enter so the daemon really is kind of the the anti matter i guess or or the emptiness right, right? that yeah. that makes that chalice so that sophia can just plop in there right no that makes perfect sense and yeah you're right yeah carl jung did use the I Ching. are you aware of uh philip k dick using the I Ching? oh yeah totally because he yes the man in the high castle that's how he did the plot was based yep. on him consulting the I Ching. 
he did all the time stuff with it too that was cool yeah so and yeah and i must i of course will confess i have been doing the ching only for a year and i often get lazy so i'll call a friend and have him do it <laughs> well, it's do really it. i you know it can get difficult uh because depending on your translation uh, if you have a translation that's a little obtuse or maybe more Confucian, not to diss on Confucius, but it gets very mired in, uh, you know, arcane languages. So some people have difficulty connecting to I Ching, uh, especially if you haven't, you know, studied ancient China or know their culture. You can be like, what are they talking about? Like, what does that mean? And it's full of like colloquialisms and it can be difficult to approach. So if you get a good translation, that's I like Dr. Stephen Karcher's uh, Chinese translation because he goes all the way back to the Taoist uh, old writings to kind of get that picture feeling language rather than like analytical. But uh, yeah, it can be difficult to approach for sure. Oh, yeah. And very interesting. You, you say that it's okay to use apps on your phone if you want yeah. to do the teaching. But what I thought was very astute, as you say, because I have a friend, he's very good at it when I need a, a reading or an, an oracle. But you say the key is when you're doing the teaching is not so much doing it, but it's understanding the questions or guiding the questions of your clients, isn't it? Yes, because... It's, I feel like it's like a detective, okay? If I'm a detective and I'm investigating a murder, you know, not to get all woo, but if I don't ask the right question, I'm never going to solve the case. If you've ever been around someone that solved a puzzle too, it's like you have uh, the thing that leads you to the answers that you have that question come up, almost like a Cohen, right? So if you're going to solve the case or get that insight, you have to know what, what are you angling at? You know what I mean? What are, where are we, where are we aiming for? Where's the arrow going to hit? That helps a lot. If you can articulate the question, it's like finding the road that you're going to go on. Right. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I mean, because again, my inner soul, the other day, my friend Valerie, she offered to do the tarot for me. And I said, yeah. awesome. I got a lot going inside my head. There's so much going on in my life. And she's like, well, what are your questions? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I will consult the tarot to find out what I need to know. But yeah, yeah. that's the question. I mean, because usually I'll say the first thing, my ego, well, am I going to make more money? Are the kids going to be safe? Am I going to travel? Yes. And then I'm realized, but that doesn't. The, where's the experience, the back and forth with my, you know, collect with my unconscious and all that. So I think that's, yeah, it's great that you have to, in a way, you have to be a witch. <laughs> it's, it's true. Like the more you witch it out, right, you can go deeper. So I do feel you can engage any divination system on that surface level of, you know, mundanities. And sometimes you'll get a profound experience because it'll answer you and it'll just be so right on that you have like a pop out. I call them pop outs, right? When, when you <laughs> see something that's so freaky deaky, you're like, wait a minute, what is this? What's going on? And certainly divination is so good at giving pop-outs because it'll 
it'll answer with some impossible thing that shows you how interconnected everything is and how there's no way it could have known that or given that response. And so then you have like, you go into existential wow mode, you know, where it even could do that. You can certainly get there from a mundane question like the ones you mentioned. But if you can kind of dig in there past that surface fear, right, you can have that initial fear of like, well, I'm not going to have any money. Then I like to like root it out and see like, well, why do you, why is that your fear? So I kind of like iterate it, right? So if you can iterate the question back a few steps, you can go deep and then you can kind of get it a bigger root. So it's really fun. I like to just kind of investigate it through the questions and follow them like a little trail, you know? That makes sense. You also write, Maja, that uh, in your book, The Occult I Ching, that few today in the West, in the West, we have few tools to communicate with our intimate selves. But ultimately, that's what divination is, uh, bringing yeah. out our inner divinity, our daemon, and how it's connected to the to the higher world. So do you think that is causing damage these days, especially in 2020? We're not consulting our oracles and our witches and our or all these other tools to take an inner voyage or how is it on what do you see people are starving so the constant exterior focus the, the the projection i guess really the best way to say it is if everybody is in a constant state of projection rather than reflection everybody's getting tapped out, man. It's like exhaustion and starvation. In order to come to a place of nourishment in a way that is not generated from material or mundanities, you must do reflection on some of these areas and on yourself and go in, right? So if you think about it, it's like if a battery uh, is in a, a flashlight, you can have your projection, but eventually the battery is going to die and you have to recharge it and plug it in. So that would be the equivalent of the going inside and doing the reflection and talking to yourself, talking to your daemon, you know, thinking about you, putting your mind, reflecting on itself, right? Doing that gnosis process, feeling yourself rather than feeling the outside stimulation, uh, being with yourself. You know, you don't have to go nuts with the self-isolation. You just need it sometimes or your battery drains. So I feel like with everybody constantly looking out, minding everybody else's business but their own, certainly on social media, <laughs> people are tempted to look at what everybody else is doing and then they lose themselves. They lose their connection. They lose, uh, you know, their ability to, to self-know. And then, you know, all these other problems that you guys brought up earlier come into play where you get lost and you believe what everybody else says and you don't know how you feel about something. And then you kind of stop feeling things, you know? Oh, yes. I think it's uh, very important. We need to look in and we need to look to uh, those higher places, those symbols, those eternal symbols, those archetypal images. And as uh, Joseph Campbell said, live a more symbolical life because things are things are getting very weird and not in a good way this year. But uh, I'm glad you're doing the work. But I want to get back also to the familiar because, again, it's so fascinating Then we can 
get to the more on the I Ching. But as you write, and so people know, a familiar has been around forever, right? Since ancient yeah. times, since Af- and we're talking from Africa to Asia to Mesoamerica. It is uh, really a staple for any society, not just for spiritual things, right? I mean, don't uh, familiars could give you like superpowers, astral travel, psychic powers, and all that good stuff? Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a whole thing in humanity. So I feel like the existence of familiars isn't even about belief or if you believe witches are real or any of that. Because if you take a gander at the history of humanity, familiars are present in every culture around the globe. So I don't care if you believe in them. You can just understand the fact that human beings have them around. <laughs> so... Uh, it's more like looking at it through that lens. And if you look at some of the things that their relationship with people gives birth to, uh, like you mentioned, a lot of weird things happen with individuals who have these relationships with familiars. Uh, superpowers in every culture and tradition, human beings that engage in these kinds of energies can do things that other people can't. Um, and some of them are very well documented, you know, uh, over extended periods of time. Um, they're also utilized in most uh, family cultures where they'll have like the literal familiar spirit that rules uh, their ancestry, right? So they're kind of keepers of the ancestors as well, a little bit like, a, um, you know, I, I talk about in the book how in China they have dragons that are that are the familiar spirits of entire lineages of races of people, right? And going back thousands of years that there are specific dragons that lineages of human beings uh, state that these, that's their power source, right? That this dragon is what gives the family its power. And of course, that's in every totemic culture as well. They all have um, different representatives, um, in Christianity, as much as they poo-poo the familiars, they got them too. You know, I'm all like, man, you guys are haters and hypocrites. <laughs> My daughters, every time I'm a hypocrite, they call me a hippopotamus. So I just think about that. So I call the Christians hippopotamuses <laughs> a lot. But the, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is a dove for crying out loud, which is 100% a familiar spirit. If you look at uh, across the board, they're represented as these birds or animals. So, I mean, if you do a little digging, the familiar spirits are a big deal throughout um, the majority of the history of humanity. So you have to kind of see through a larger lens than just thinking about them like black cats with witches on Halloween, you know? Maja, do you, uh, for the audience, and this will be on the show notes, would you like to tell the audience where they can find out more about you online? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm pretty available. Uh, my website is witchofthedawn.com, and I'm on the social media stuff, so you can just find me on my website. And then I have lots of fun stuff, uh, free lectures on my YouTube channel. I like to do events. I usually post those on social media as well. And um, I'm pretty open and friendly, so if folks you know, want to find out more, I, I try to make it available. And you do offer readings and courses as well, right? Yes, I do. I'm, I do uh, readings. Those are on my website as well, I Ching and astrology and tarot, all three. 
Wonderful. And uh, are you working on anything else for the future, book-wise? I am. I've been doing one on alchemy uh, that is, I know, it's my favorite and something I've spent a lot of years on. It's very dense, so it's taking a long time, but (laughs) hopefully the alchemy book is focusing on creation and alchemy and that idea of um, how alchemy and hermeticism in general, and even how we consciously think a lot of those stories that I've found have to do with how something is created. Like, where did it come from? How do you make something? How do you make a new thing? So a lot of alchemy looks at like how something can be created if nothing is there. So that's something that I think about a lot. Well, we hope that Hermes and Thoth are with you each step of the way there for this one. But I'm sure it'll be a great book, and we definitely look forward to having you on again for your future work because I really enjoyed all of your what I read from you and your vibe and everything you're doing. So, But before I say goodbye to you, Maja Vance, thank you very much for keeping us company on this journey. Oh, it was great, uh, Miguel. Maja, it was really great to hear about all your spiritual adventures and skills and hope to hear more sometime. Yeah. Thanks so much for your insights. They were spot on target. I really enjoyed them. Oh, thanks. Oh, it was a, yes, it was a lot of fun. And Maja, again, we look forward to having you back, but uh, please good luck with everything you're doing and thanks for your time and the work that you do. Thanks so much, you guys. It was a pleasure. I'd love to come back anytime. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. The first part of our interview with Maja Daou. Like I said, I will spiritually sim for her the rest of my life. In our second part, we'll continue exploring familiars across different cultures and times. We'll certainly talk about the black cat, including its ancient history. Maja will talk about sexual relationships with familiars, as well as the sexual power of witches. We'll get more into divination, and this will include novel insights on the I Ching, one of them being its archetypal connection to Freemasonry. Maja will talk about serpents and dragons, Chinese and Taoist lore, and my boy Hermes himself, and much, much more. So become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon to continue growing this red pill cafeteria, as well as get the second part. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic content or many of our guests anywhere in cyberspace or even meat space. Membership includes full access to the archives with more than 14 years of high quality interviews. You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and the Discord channel, where past guests like John Munter, Scott Smith, Edward Pandemonium, Joanna Cuyava, Tim Freak, and Rosamonde Miller hang out there, part of some mind-expanding continual conversations. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. I also have the new merch store and an Amazon wish list, as I always need equipment in this universe of entropy. 
Don't forget me books like Voices of Gnosticism or other Voices of Gnosticism. And yes, Finding Hermes is Live. You can do so many wonders, I just know it, and are so full of potential and the ability to get into your own sun and away from the shadow of small dick conquerors. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.